<laughs> what about vodka? I have it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm a mess. Well, that's what the people come here for, so. I, is it? Is it? I'm just going to have another sip of this vodka here. Ah, hello everyone. This is Basic Snitches. I'm Tara. I'm Adam. Yay. And this is our first recording session of 2020. Yay. Yay. You've been listening for episodes in 2020 for like two months now, but the holidays <laughs> just ended. It might only be like the second week of January, but two months. What? Oh, like right now it's the second week of January. Yes. Yes. Right now we are recording on January 10th. The last time we recorded was December 18th at Tara's house. And that was the special episode with Stephen Ostertag. And us not being able to use a microphone properly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yay. So when I was editing that episode, I was like, this is way too ironic. Basically, our lives are like a series of us being wrong about everything we think we already know. Ah, that's right. And that's why you all listen to us. <laughs> Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, same. I actually actually had a really good Christmas with my family and stuff. I did have some plumbing issues. No, that's not <laughs> a shit joke. Uh, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> I'm like the 30th. I was chilling in my living room with the cats and I turned off the TV and I heard the leak in the basement with my sonic bat hearing. So if anybody needs someone who can hear really good... <laughs> I'm going to have to come up with some rates or some shit because <laughs> I'm going to monetize this new skill that I've discovered. <laughs> so. I love it. Anyways, uh, I am drinking rum. Tara is drinking vodka. And I let's am? get this show on the road. <laughs> yes. I'm drinking the, vodka. The, the people already know that. Vodka. We ordered Chinese food and we it's got really good. best new Chinese place around my house. For real. But we got the combo with the drink so that we could add liquor to them because we're professionals. Because that's who we are. All right, what are we discussing today? Chapter 14, Cornelius Fudge. Cornelius Fudge. And both of us wrote a chapter summary this time. We both did. Before we read either of them, because we're only going to read one of them, I'm just going to real quick take us back to chapter 13, which is... Like I literally have loser. no idea what happened, because it was so long ago. The winner loser of chapter 13 is kind of boring. It's not bad. It's just like, it's just not all that thrilling, but like whatever the loser of chapter 13 is lockhart because of his obsession with valentine's day mm -hmm. which is real annoying i was going to give the win to harry for figuring out how to make the diary work but in contrast to lockhart and his shitty idea i'm going to give the win to jenny for having the bravery to send harry that valentine bless her precious little heart she's going through some shit it's a rough book for jenny and and she's still here that's great this is jenny's first win isn't it this is jenny's first win that's awesome she's gonna have lots of wins i totally support your uh your winner and loser it's your thing i know but i oh i'm glad know. i will i appreciate i like support y'all know sometimes i agree with her sometimes i don't i agree with you oh well, that's good i'm a human being that that really thrives when i'm supported so thanks good all human beings thrive when they're supported so support your friends Thank you. And fuck your enemies. No, thank you. Anyways, speaking of Valentine's Day really quick, this Valentine's Day is actually going to be a lit as fuck um. Valentine's Day because for Christmas, my parents got me tickets to see Clue at Playhouse Square. Playhouse Square, for those of you who don't live in Cleveland, is like our Broadway, sort of. It's like our theater district. 
And beforehand, we're going to go to eat at Cullen Hubbard, which is a very nice restaurant. Whenever my parents do get me theater tickets, that is one thing they do so correctly. They always pick their best shows. The last show they did was And Then There Were None. Y'all know I love that bitch. And they take me out to dinner. And then as soon as we get to the theater, we go straight to the bar. And then as soon as intermission happens, we go straight to the bar. Like, my parents know how to do this right. And they got tickets for Valentine's Day. Oh, that's fun. So I get to go on a date with my parents on Valentine's Day. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Not a that not a romantic. No, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> we go on dates all the time. We do. We're on a date right now. This is I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. All right. See Clue if you're in Cleveland area. Yes, and even if you're not, watch the movie because if you haven't seen the movie, the best then movie ever. Your life is not at all fulfilled in any Seriously, way. Seriously, <laughs> the best movie. Um, um, do you want me to read that thing that you wrote? Sure. So, uh, like I said, we both wrote the summary this time because I'm an idiot. Because we had Steven write one of our summaries, we are now technically backwards from how we've been doing it. So when we have a recording session, I've been doing the first, Tara's been doing the second. And I forgot about that. So I also wrote this one and Tara is um, graciously reading mine instead of me reading hers. Mine isn't very good, so... Our most recent episode that dropped on thursday which is banana wine like amazing like even re-listening to it it was so good so thanks so we all have good days and we all have bad days so that was adam's very wordy response to me saying mine isn't very good and him agreeing with me but didn't want to say yeah yours isn't very good Uh yeah anyways support your friends okay chapter 14 cornelius fudge The trio began recapping what Harry saw in the diary, that it was Hagrid's creature with many hairy legs that attacked the student many years ago. I would use another umbrage joke here, but I think I've exhausted that one. How many monsters do you think this place can hold? asks Ron. Ha, bitch, if you only knew. They consider going to ask Hagrid, but they decide they better not. Looks like they sort of learned their lesson last time with the whole Norbert incident. Luckily, things were getting a bit easier and the mandrakes are fully adolescent assholes, so the moment to murder them is approaching. Electives are being selected for third year, Quidditch practices are continuing, things are sort of maybe seeming normal and good for once. <laughs> Lol, JK. Someone ransacked the Gryffindor common room and stole Tom Riddle's diary. Oh, and the mysterious murder voice is being heard too. However, this causes Hermione to have an epiphany and she runs off to the library. Harry goes off to begin the Quidditch match, and just as they're getting started, McGuh comes out and orders the match to be cancelled. McGuh takes Harry and Ron to the infirmary, where both Penelope Clearwater and Hermione are petrified. There has been another double attack. Because of this, there are now many additional rules to keep everyone safe, like constant teacher escorts and no evening activities. McGuh says that the school is also likely to be closed if the culprit is found. Ron does make the astute observation that no Slytherins are in danger. He is wrong, but he's trying and making some pretty good guesses. Despite all of the rules, though, does Harry listen? Ha, we all know the answer to that. He figures out that this is now time to talk to Hagrid. So out comes the invisibility cloak. However, he has to dodge all the teachers and prefects guarding the halls to get there. When they finally get to Hagrid, he is extremely jumpy and anxious, and there's another knock at the door. It's Cornelius Fudge, a man with a terrible name and no fashion sense. Oh, and he also happens to be the Minister of Magic. We'll call him Fudge Packer from now on. Speaking of Fudge Packer, Dumbledore is also there. Of course, Fudge Packer also thinks that Hagrid's monster is the one who has been attacking all the Muggleborns, too. But Dumbledore knows better as he tries to warn Fudge Packer. 
it's no use and they take Hagrid away to oh wait it gets even gayer and Pantene hair model Miss Gay UK 1988 his drag name is Luscious Boy Toy and world renowned power bottom Lucius Malfoy also shows up and swings his tiny dick around. He has an order of suspension to remove Dumbledore too. Sis, things are getting catty up in this gig. Gay jokes aside, you know, Luscious strong-armed all those signatures onto that suspension. Hagrid thinks so too. Dumbledore steps aside as requested, but of course ends with a scathing line about how he'll only have truly left when nobody is left loyal to him. Drag her, slay her. Sipping on that true tea, hunty. <laughs> Fudge fiddles with his bowler. Just thought I'd mention that. Hagrid also has a skating line about following the spiders, too. Whatever that means. Oh, and someone needs to feed Fang. Why do you do this to me? When I was reading this and the description of Cornelius Fudge, it, it just reminded me of someone who is just very flamboyant. And then Lucius Malfoy comes in there and Dumbles there and all of that. I was like, this is a gay-ass scene. And so I had it to... It is pretty gay. I can't vodka <laughs> this is not the first time i've said that maybe it's the first time i've said that on a recording i mean you can vodka all you want it's the way that you react to the vodka <laughs> that's a problem fuck me okay Alrighty. so kicking off this chapter the beginning of this chapter is when they kind of like do this little like rundown of Hagrid's experience with a three-headed dog and a dragon and shit from the first book. Uh-huh. I like that little, like, flash... Like, mm-hmm. not flashback, but, like, that recall to yeah. that. flashback, I think, kind of... Flashback, kind of yeah. Sense. But also, I love the the part where Harry's thinking about how Hagrid be, would be like, oh, this poor creature. I just think that's Harry truly understanding who Hagrid is. Yeah, despite it being another, like, terrifying thing. At this point, to the reader, I feel like it's pretty obvious that it's a giant spider. But perhaps that moment they're just like, oh, it's this terrifying thing with hairy legs, you know? Which is my nickname right now. (laughs) As I sit here with my leg outstretched and my hand just happens to be like, look at my beautiful hairy (laughs) It was quite a presentation. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) It was not at all deliberate. But yeah, so so yeah, that, that whole thing of trying to relate to Hagrid's softer side of caring about the actual creature rather than he's just a, some weirdo who likes terrifying monsters. He is also nice. that, but yeah. I noticed that Ron, because we're always giving Ron shit because we're like, Ron's not as smart or observant. And honestly, I, I think Ron really does try to get it and try to add like he says the whole thing about you saw Hagrid and Nocturnally right and Harry's like oh he was looking for flesh-eating slug repellent and I don't think that Ron is accusing Hagrid of anything there he's just trying to like contribute to the yeah, conversation. Yeah he's gathering evidence. Yeah. Yeah I wrote that too. They're making a lot of other suggestions and like recommendations. None here. of them want to be like it was Hagrid. Right. You know they're all just like explaining it away to themselves. Yeah. Which is Really very smart for 12-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, even the way that they, like, relate to Riddle and stuff. Going back to what you said about Harry feeling for Hagrid in this moment and caring about all the creatures, he also says the thing about, like, well, if the school were to close, he'd have to go back to that orphanage, so I don't blame him. Yeah. So there's that, which is really lovely, and it's also, of mm-hmm. course, another comparison between Harry and Voldemort, which... And then the other thing that is said during the scene that I really enjoy is when Hermione says Riddle might have gotten the wrong person. This is another thing, it's kind of like the Dobby moment from the beginning of the book where they're actually sort of right i mean in that moment they were right yeah <laughs> like, 
Riddle did have the wrong person, of course he framed the wrong person. Right, well, because of the way that the information is given to them, they're going into this whole thing with Riddle is just another student. Not having that connection to Voldemort, which is obviously the whole fucking plot, so fine. There's no reason for them to, like, think of this crossover that, like, Riddle was framing Hagrid. So they're thinking probably, like, Riddle turned in Hagrid. The attack stopped. Yeah, then Riddle is good to go. He doesn't have to go back to an orphanage. If Hermione (laughs) isn't petrified later in this chapter, I think that (laughs) she would have come to that kind of conclusion. I'm always thinking that, like, Hermione probably would have been like, hold on, wait. Yeah. As you get closer to it. You know, it's funny because when she does have that moment in this chapter, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, so we'll we'll come back. It's when Harry is hearing the voices in the walls again, and she's like, oh my god, I just thought of something, and she runs off, and that's the last that we see of her. I wonder, like, what's going through her mind at that point. Like, what is the thing that actually caused her to think that because she's even missing additional evidence that they find down the road about the whole the spiders are like afraid of the basilisk and whatnot you know i wonder if that is something that went through her head at that moment yeah i'm with you there so after they are kind of having this moment of like trying to piece everything together they are kind of going back to just like normal life it's a nice little moment because this whole book it's like very kind of rainy and dark and everything this is one slight moment where like the clouds may be part for a split second and they get to talk about the electives which Mm -hmm. i love this little conversation i figured you did yeah like because of course it's like ooh, we're getting up to book three we're talking about carabagical creatures and um, bubble studies and divination and all that good stuff (laughs) even the thing about quidditch practices and stuff it's like okay we're getting into things that harry loves but then of course that is when they find that the gryffindor common room was ransacked oh cool things are normal just kidding Harry's going back to his dorm room and Neville is there and he's like, um, everything is a mess. The description of what happened to the room, I am astounded. Just like, is that how people look for things? Yeah. His cloak is torn and it's like someone was like violent with all of his possessions. And I'm like, well, we know who it was too. Yes. Which is why I'm like, why are you violent with his possession? Uh, Yeah. It almost makes me wonder. My thought is like, okay, where is a boy going to keep this diary that he does not necessarily know is this dangerous piece of dark magic? I don't think they have like book bags or anything or like knapsacks or like a way to organize their books or anything necessarily. But my first thought is, okay, maybe it's like that or on his desk or something. Like I can't imagine Harry is hiding this or anything. Maybe it's in a pocket or maybe he threw it in his trunk. Yeah, exactly. It's just like this frenzied thing where I imagine if Ginny was doing it under the possession of Tom Riddle, it almost makes me feel like at first it was very like benign. Like she started kind of like turning out pockets or shifting through some stuff. And then it just got more and more and more and more until she was like, oh, here it is. And it, <laughs> like I almost imagine it just sitting on the bed the entire time. And she's not like lo- noticing it or anything. And she's just ripping shit apart. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it was here all the time. And she grabs it and skips off. <laughs> she definitely skips off. Well, that's the thing is because without the diary, I don't think that he can possess her like I guess that's true too because the chain of events and it's been so long since we read the last chapter but she sees the diary because malfoy finds it when his bag is ripped that's open true. on valentine's yeah. day Ginny now knows harry has the diary after she tried to get rid of it and so now she is trying to hide the evidence 
Tom Riddle says this to Harry when he talks to the memory in the Chamber of Secrets. And he says, Ginny is afraid that, that I would tell you all of her secrets or whatever. Yeah. About, you know, because Ginny has this thing for Harry. I wonder if she did, like you said, was like going in there. I know you were making a joke, but I wonder if she went there trying to find it. And then she's like not finding it easily and she's panicking. I don't think she would be possessed by him because she doesn't actually have possession of that's the diary. An, that's an interesting angle. So I feel like maybe she is driven by panic. Well, there's a couple things too that might be going through her mind, you know. If she's not possessed, because there are like these moments where you see her in a chapter, she is like almost beside herself. Like when Mrs. Norris gets petrified, mm-hmm. there's a thing in there about like Ginny was especially distraught. And there's one maybe in the last few where she's just like sitting there silently. So she's coping with all the shit that's she perhaps knows that she is responsible for. But then also she's still like a young girl who has a crush on a boy and the boy has the thing. Yeah. Originally I was kind of taking it as like she needs to find this diary because Tom Riddle is possessing her. However, it makes me even think of things like, you know, Harry's scar. If he is close to Voldemort or Horcrux, his scar will burn. So, like, why wouldn't Tom Riddle just be magnetically attracted to it? Because he's part of it. So your well, reading I, of it, I think, is more accurate then. Well, if you're talking about Harry being attracted to the diary, I think that that's also there, a conversation. There's that, yes. That's definitely a different conversation. Way. But the other thing that this makes me think of then, would you ever, like, lose your phone and you're late for work at the same time? All the fucking time. A couple weeks ago, I meditate every morning in my bed and then I shower and kind of get ready and then leave the house and and go to work. And this one particular day, I use a insight timer. My meditation finishes. I turn off the timer. It somehow magically like got in between the sheets of my bed. And so I shower, I get ready. I'm on my way out and I'm like, where's my phone? And so I'm like frantically looking around and I'm ripping my bed apart looking for it and I can't find it anywhere. So I run down to my computer and I go and find your iPhone. And so then it starts like giving the alarm. And lo and behold, it was between these two sheets of my bed that I just happened not to look in. And it's the same sort of like panic. You know, these days as adults, we overreact to things. But as a kid now who has gone through all of these things, it's not responsible, but she is likely thinking that she's partially responsible for these things on top of her crush finding out. Which, let's be honest, Harry kind of already knows. (laughs) But I think it's definitely a combination of all those things that cause her to do it. It's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. This is the first chapter. Well, maybe it's not the first chapter. But, like, we keep noticing now in this reread where Ginny is mentioned. Mm -hmm. Because it's, like, kind of artfully put in there. Ginny is not mentioned in this chapter. No. And I had to kind of, like, carefully go through it again because it made me wonder. This is, like, the first time she isn't, which I think is another artful moment from JK. Oh. Two other things that have happened by this point, too, that I wanted to mention. Back to the electives. Hermione chooses all electives. And, like, at this moment, you're probably not thinking of, like, okay, how is she going to attend all this? No, you're not. But I like that foreshadowing as well. But at this point, you don't know that they all fall at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And then in my version of the book on page 251, it said something about the Mandrakes throwing a party. And it made Professor Sprout, like, really, really excited. I do like I just really like that one. (laughs) I do, too. Those poor mandrakes. It just sprout like getting really excited too over like like, these adolescent. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Got some little mandrake friends. So soon after this, Harry hears the voice again. Hermione has her epiphany and runs off. And then we get into Quidditch. 
I do want to make the point about Hermione making that statement that only a Gryffindor yes. would do this. Which I'm trying to remember like what I was thinking when I first read this book because no part of me was thinking the yeah. actual thing that happened. I just assumed that as easily as Harry and Ron, because it wasn't actually that hard, got into the Slytherin common room by using Apologies right. Potion. That whoever is doing this, who can control a terrifying monster, probably can get in there to get it. But she's right that it is a Gryffindor. I think first-time readers are not going, it's a Gryffindor. Like, no. who are you, who are you suspecting? If anything, because up to this point, you know, Ginny has mentioned, of course, but Percy is even... Percy is written suspiciously in this book, yeah. I think. I think Percy is meant to be a person that crosses your mind. Yeah. I think so too. But I didn't even think about the Polyjuice Potion. Mm. I even think like another reason why it was easy in the Slytherin common room is because their password was pure blood. Like we we kind of terrible password. But I mean, all they have to do is follow another Gryffindor in and like hear them say the password, you know, or or like we've seen in last book. Oh hey, I forgot what the password changed to. Could you tell me? I think that the common rooms and like the password protection or whatever it is to get in, like, again, we know nothing about Hufflepuff's common room, but we do by the end of the series know about the other three. No one knows where they are unless they're in that house. Yeah. When Harry goes to the Ravenclaw common room with Luna, she takes him. It's not like he knows where it is. He knows Slytherin's in the dungeon. How the fuck would he have found the Slytherin common room without following Malfoy? (laughs) So I wonder if biggest security measure for the common rooms is where they're located. Yeah. That's my thought there. So yeah, she has this epiphany and runs off. I kind of touched on this a little bit already, but it makes me wonder like what about the voice through her? I've thought about this. Yeah. This is the sequence of events. They're leaving the Great Hall and Harry hears it talking. He's like, I just heard it again, didn't you? He hasn't heard the voice while with them yet. He says he hears the voice. They don't hear it. The first time, remember, they don't know he's a parcel mouth. Now they do. That's And true Hermione, too. I think, Puts two and comes two to that conclusion. Yeah. She's like, I'm with Harry. If Harry can hear something, I should be able to hear it. Unless my friend is fucking insane, which maybe probably crosses her mind. But like... <laughs> She can't hear the voice. Yeah. To them, it probably sounds like hissing in the pipes, which is where she comes up with her idea about how it moves through the building. I mean, that's the most logical solution. And I think she goes right there. That makes a lot of sense. And Ron says one of my favorite lines. Harry's like, what has she figured out? And Ron's like, oh, that's Hermione. When in doubt, go to the library. Oh, you see a little bit more of the intricacies of their friendship in this book. Yeah. So she runs off. The Quidditch match starts. They get like up in the air. And then Hermione, Hermione. Surprise, Hermione isn't petrified. She comes out and she's like, stop everything. I'm here. Continue. McGonagall comes out with her big purple megaphone and she stops it. I love that it's a purple megaphone. (laughs) Yes. That is when everyone is ordered back to their common rooms and she takes Ron and Harry to see Hermione petrified. And Penelope obviously is there too. Mm -hmm. And even at this point, they don't even mention that as Penelope Clearwater. It's like that rando Ravenclaw bitch. Yeah. McGonagall is giving all of the, like, decrees of, like, okay, hey, this is what we have to do now to make sure that all of you are safe. There's two little notes that I have here. One is something that you touched on in the last few chapters where McGonagall is so concerned. Like, it's after, I think, Colin Creevy 
was petrified. This is this powerful wizard who has so much respect and she is like starting to get nervous about this stuff. And here it's even more apparent where McGonagall is really feeling it and she doesn't know what's going on. Poor McGonagall in this moment. Like she's trying to lead these children. She also is completely in the dark of like, what is going on? How can we stop this? And she doesn't really know what to do either. You can tell how nervous and worried she is. When she flat out says to the students, it's likely the school's going to be closed. She knows that the best course of action is to be like 100% honest. Yeah. This is where we are. We don't know anything. If you know anything, please step forward. We're basically at a loss. It's a very good way to lead to, to be completely upfront. Keeping this sort of information from your followers, or in this case, you know, it's a student-teacher relationship, is usually not a great idea. Is just keeping things status quo. Like, yeah, you don't want to freak people out or stress people out or give people more anxiety, but being open and stuff is a brave and correct thing to do. And then Lee Jordan makes this speculation hey we have two Gryffindors we have a Hufflepuff and we have a Raven it's like oh it's the Slytherins at this moment they aren't also mentioning that it's all Muggleborns too because I actually had to look up Penelope Clearwater too just to make sure because I was like oh I didn't even realize that she has non-magical ancestry so that's the important thing that they're missing right it's the same thing that I was talking about at the beginning of the chapter where they are doing like this evidence collecting And they're doing a really good job, but they're still kind of missing bits and pieces. It's very interesting because in the movie earlier, when Hermione makes the statement to McGonagall about Slytherin being like, these are people who are not worthy Muggleborns, they're building that information in the movie so that we can follow it. Yeah. In the books, Justin tells Harry that he's Muggleborn. Mm-hmm. You know Colin's Muggleborn. You're just assuming Penelope is. Yeah. Which is interesting because you don't go over her status. In the seventh book, Hermione says that's who she is when they get caught while on the run. Because at that point, Penelope would be a graduated student, but she is still Muggleborn. If it just kind of like harkens Maybe back, it comes to, back the fact to this. That you don't talk about Penelope. Like, you yeah. know she's a prefect, and that's really it. And then you know her connection with Percy later in the book. We were talking a little bit about this when Colin was being annoying as fuck to Harry. Like, he has to ask about Quidditch and that moment, because the reader needs to know that he doesn't know about Quidditch. Because, yeah. like, otherwise, too, if they don't really bring it up as much in the book, and I mean... I even remember saying how I liked how the book worded it. People who were unfit to do magic. Mm-hmm. Not just like, oh, they were Muggleborn. Because then that includes Filch and his cat. This is the one instance where it's kind of like, oh, wait, she's there too. And so the reader, if they're catching on, are realizing, oh, okay, that must be what it is. Yeah. This is the moment too when they're like, we need to go see Hagrid. I really like the moment where they're under the cloak. Ron stubs his toe in mm-hmm. front of Snape. He sneezes at the exact same time. I just liked that little moment. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's of no consequence or anything, but... It's, it's fun. It's a nice little moment there to, like, kind of, like, get some retribution on Snape in a small way. But then they make it to Hagrid's hut and how jittery and scared he is. I know. And he's expecting someone to... He's expecting them to come take him away. Yeah. Well, I mean, after all these attacks and after what happened last time, like, Hagrid's not an idiot. He understands what's going on, like, and I think perhaps, like, it the wording so that sad. it's Hermione, and now Ron and Harry are there, too. He knows that these kids are smart. He remembers from the whole Norbert incident, and, like, going to ask about Fluffy, and all of that kind of stuff. These fuckers can't mind their own business. Right. Of course, they don't even get to ask, because that's when the gay trio pops up. 
Oh my god. And Cornelius Fudge is dressed in this like rainbow attire. He's a fucking mess. Dumbledore is there. And they're basically like, okay, we need to take you away, Hagrid. And then it's almost like Lucius was 10 steps behind so that Dumbledore would not see him. Because then he comes in to take Dumbledore away. And it's like Fudge doesn't even realize Lucius is there to take him away. Fudge even mentioned something like about the power of Dumbledore. Fudge is not about this whole losing Dumbledore thing. Before Lucius comes in, when it's just Fudge and Dumbledore and Hagrid, I'm really upset how Fudge is literally like, we have to be seen doing something. Because it's... It's the saving face thing of the The saving face of the future of these books and this horribly corrupt government. Because in this instance, it just comes across as this nervous man. Fudge mentions his track record and he says, it's, you know, like bad business. We, we, We have to do this. You have a record against you. But then he flat out says, have to be seen doing something. Yeah. I find that so incredibly enlightening about what the future of this looks like. Yeah. Literally the next thing that happens is Lucius Malfoy comes and he's like, yeah, so now we have to take Dumbledore away. Like, it's just all this corruption. There are two things that this makes me think of. One of them is within the series when Voldemort does come back and how quick they are to deny it. If they have this mentality of they need to save face, like if they acknowledge that he's back, then they have to truly change everything. Mm -hmm. And how just unwilling they are to do it, which eventually leads to Fudge leaving. But then it also makes me think of in true crime, y'all know that I'm really into true crime. There's so many cases out there where it's like a small town thing. Sometimes the police or whoever is in charge of the case like jump to the very first conclusion that they can just to put some closure on it without actually doing their diligence and looking at the facts of the case. I was just listening to My Favorite Murder earlier today and there was this one case where the person who did it was someone who was just normal in the community and everything. When they found out that the person who was kind of lined up to actually be the criminal was who it was, they were like, oh, it's obviously not that person. Like, they jump to the conclusion. It's almost like the opposite of that sort of thing in this whole corrupt, needing to make it look like they're actually doing something without actually doing the right thing and investigating it to its full potential. Well, it makes you think about what happened 50 years earlier. Obviously, Fudge was not Minister of Magic 50 mm-hmm. years earlier, but whoever was, and whoever was investigating that, spelled Hagrid and all of that, there was clearly no real investigation. They're yeah. like, well, everything stopped, so that must have been it. If that's the case, why is Hagrid still there? And why is he now doing it now? Yeah. You know, Innocent like. until proven guilty. Yeah. I mean, that's something I keep thinking of, too, is like, then you start looking at people who are new there this year or somehow have a connection back to that time. Like, this is something I was kind of saving for the next chapter, but I'll say it now. Like, what about Lockhart? Lockhart is someone who is there new this year. If it was the heir of Slytherin and they've been there this here this whole time, and like if it was Harry, then why didn't he open it last year or whatever? I mean, I think that that's another point of Lockhart. I think that Lockhart is also meant to someone be someone that you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is set up that way. Yep. Uh, again, this is something in the next chapter. But what ends up actually happening is. Once Hagrid gets taken away, Lockhart is really happy. He's like, oh, they took away the right person. And it's like, there are other consequences to this whole thing happening. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the attacks are going to stop. And if it was Hagrid, like, Hagrid's got to tell the creature to go away, too, you know? Mm. We're not thinking it through from that point of view. But even just, like, the 
complete change in disposition there. And it's like, okay, why aren't people expecting Lockhart? Yeah, I don't know. I think that it's the laziest thing. And it goes back to what you were saying is that they just need to be seen doing something. Like something's got to be in the daily profit. And then of course, in the same corrupt way, but a different way of corruption, that's when Lucius comes in and like kind of even blindsides Fudge. And they're almost trying to like see whose dick is the biggest in this moment. Oh my God, yes. Because like, well, no, it's my responsibility. No, it's my responsibility. That whole kind of thing. Here's all these signatures. And it's like, okay, clearly you were an opportunist in this moment Lucius Malfoy to be as slimy as you can to get Dumbledore out of the way so that this creature who is really there because of you Mm -hmm. can wreak as much havoc as possible at the beginning there were a few moments where I took points away and I was like "Mm, I'm only taking this amount away even though he's being such a huge asshole in this moment because I know that in the future there's so much worse to come from him and here's where it is he's a piece of shit yes i wouldn't call him lazy he definitely put some effort into what he was doing but he's a piece of shit it's like that ambitious thing it's the slytherin ambition like we really do see it with the dark wizards from slytherin unfortunately we don't get to see like the good ambition until i mean slughorn is really the only one that comes up and slughorn's not known for his ambition well, I mean, I even think of his ambition to collect students. Oh, we that's fair. Yeah. so far from that. There are some moments there, too, where it can be used for good. I know I've talked about this being used as, like, a character flaw in, like, some classic literature and stuff. And, I mean, here it's not even just a flaw. It's just him being a fucking horrible person. He's pretty terrible. Yeah. But then they all leave. Dumbledore is like, help will always be given to those who ask for it. Mm-hmm. Hagrid tries to be like, I'm sly too. Follow spiders, hoes. I love Hagrid so much. It is so awkward in the book. No, I just just like, oh, Hagrid. And I even love the moment where he just is like, yep, the spiders, the spiders are there too. Someone should go follow those. Okay, bye guys. The door closes and then he opens it back and is like, oh, also someone should feed Fang. It's a very cartoony moment for me. I do love that. And it needs it in this moment because it really is one of those oh shit oh, moments shit. at the end of a chapter. And, and Ron and Harry are like, fuck, yes. at the end of it. Yes. Ron, and Fang is too. Ron, right, Fang <laughs> is too. It's a, such a good chapter ender. Ron's like, well, this is terrible. And then like the last line of the chapter is Fang started howling and scratching at the closed door. In comparison to the movie, I think that this chapter is extremely well represented. I agree with that. And there's a lot missing from this chapter in the movie. And I'm okay. I don't really miss it. Like when Hermione actually has the Has the epiphany. I would like that. I do like that. And after hearing your explanation, especially. It's just their whole thing where they've got to cut some stuff out. In this fast paced environment, the whole conversation about electives is not important there. You don't need to see that they're going to Quidditch practice. You know, you know that that shit is happening it's just like you know that they're going to classes and whatnot similarly in the book the quidditch match they get a little bit further (laughs) in the movie they are literally walking into the quidditch pitch and mcgonald's like get the fuck out of here i do love oliver would be like you can't cancel quidditch And she's like, bitch, I just did. I just did. The biggest thing missing to me in this chapter in the movie is that Penelope is not petrified. They really do gloss over her and even the whole Percy having a girlfriend thing almost entirely, except for very small moments. Like that one moment where nearly headless Nick is floating by and he's like, hi, Percy. And he's there with her. 
Oh, yeah. Part of me is like, why even, like, include stuff like that if you're going to cut out so much more of her? It's, yeah, it's very interesting that they made that choice. The other thing that I'm kind of missing from the movie, it's noticeable that in the book, Fudge is protesting Dumbledore being taken away. Yes, that is also very important. And in the movie, he's very complacent. He reaches out and, like, tries to grab the decree that Lucius hands Dumbledore. You get the feeling that he's not cool with it. But he doesn't say any of the stuff that he says in Yeah. The I think in the movie, Fudge comes off as so much more spineless. Oh, God, yes. Um, and, and he's and not wearing his cool outfit. No! By cool, I mean terrible. Something that I really do kind of Adam miss. was like, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> there are some really colorful, childlike descriptions, like even of Dumbledore at the beginning. I think they made it a little too real in the movie. I mean, I still love the whole aesthetics of the movie. I was talking a few episodes ago about how the architecture is just perfect. Mm-hmm. But some of the like character descriptions that make them so colorful and exciting do kind of get lost. And this is one of the moments where I'm like, oh man. I mean, I think of other characters coming up, like two bitches in the next few books, Rita Skeeter and Dolores Umbridge, for example. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they're so colorful and vibrant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It almost makes me think of like how Disney villains are almost always painted as like a flamboyant kind of way. There's like the joke that all like Disney villains are gay. Mm -hmm. Like Jafar. Come on. (laughs) If your best friend is a parrot, you're obviously gay. Obviously. I would have liked a little bit more of the colorfulness. I mean, you you get a little bit of the personality from Molly Weasley even. And I'm trying to think of like other witches and wizards that you see in the series that you can just look at them and tell what kind of person they are. Pong, for example, is another one. In this instance, like, here's this side character who's just boring. We're just going to ignore the whole description of him in the book and make him this gray drab person. I feel like book five came out after the second movie was produced yeah and i feel like had book five come out before the second movie was produced because also hollywood designed different produce or different directors it really does they they took it in a way that still really encapsulates the magic of it but they made it more real I don't know. There are times when I really appreciate it. Like, of course, I love that they make it so realistic. But I don't know. There are some moments where I'm like, here's this character who sucks anyways. Let's make him a little bit more interesting. Right. The other thing that I commented on, of course, knowing that I made my summary really gay, was how perfect and pristine like the bow in Lucius's hair is and stuff. Oh my like, god, his his bow was looking real good. You can almost even see them like side by side. Fudge is so much more like disheveled. It says something interesting about their characters. They end the movie literally jumping right into the second half of the next chapter. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that section of the movie. So I guess we'll get there. I think otherwise, this one I think does a lot better sticking as close to the chapter as possible, but weeding out some of the things that aren't so necessary. Yeah, it's, it's some really strong work in the movie as far as getting us exactly what we need without expounding upon it. I've been doing this the last few chapters. Plus 10 to Harry, plus 10 to Ron, and plus 10 to Hermione. There's a lot of bravery that happens through this entire chapter. They are sort of like starting to respect boundaries a little bit more because at first they're like, "Mm, we really shouldn't ask Hagrid about this. That's going to be an awkward conversation. Mm -hmm. But then they are like, okay, this is where it matters most and it's harder to go talk to Hagrid. So the whole bravery with the invisibility cloak going down to see him, that's really great. I like Hermione's epiphany, of course. All the evidence 
Magus Gathering that I've talked about. So plus 10 to each of them. Plus 10 to McGonagall for the reason that I brought up earlier about her great leadership and the concern for the students. Plus 10 to Hagrid because he's so nervous. I feel so bad for him in this moment. I just love his little random spider thing. <laughs> that he says and how awkward he is. I know, he's precious. And another plus 10 to Dumbledore for his resilience at the end, how he is just like, you know what, if this is what you want, I'll step aside. I know that good will prevail, that I still have loyalty, etc. Dumbledore got a lot of faith. And then plus five also to Fang, because I feel so bad for Fang at the end. Oh, little Fang. So a lot of points that I gave away there. The only person I'm taking points away from, I give it, I'm sure you can guess, Lucy is Lucius Malfoy? Malfoy and negative 50. I took some points away from him that were kind of paltry, like negative five, negative ten, whatever, I don't remember. But here, it just really is showing his, I was going to say his true colors, but there's not a lot of color in it. He's just this he's, really evil guy. Who is trying to maximize the situation to his own agenda of causing as much havoc and pain to the Muggleborns. And that is really fucking shitty. So negative 50. He really is disgusting. He's like, oh, what a shame that would be. Like, you're not fooling anyone, dude. Everyone knows that you're a slimy piece of shit. So to recap, that's plus 10 to Harry, Ron, Hermione, McGonagall, Hagrid, and Dumbledore. Plus five to Fang, negative 50 to Lucius Malfoy, and negative 10 for Tara for taking pictures of my cats when I was doing my prints. I couldn't resist. I'm (laughs) sending Mary Beth a picture of your cat and his toe beans. Cool. (laughs) So that is chapter four. What was chapter was this? Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Cornelius. Negative 10 to Adam for not knowing what fucking chapter it is. I'm not actually taking points away from you either. And points are my thing, so. Yeah, that's right. Sip your vodka, you vodka bitch. Next week, we will be discussing chapter 15 Aragog. Aragog. Ooh. He a spider. Well, I guess now we don't have to discuss it. Uh, we're just we're gonna skip we're right gonna up. Skip chapter fifteen. Next Aragog week, is a spider. Next week we'll be discussing chapter sixteen. <laughs> I really don't know what it is because that's preparing for next time. The Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets. No, we're not really. We will be discussing Aragog. Yeah, Aragog. He of spider. Yeah. Oh, chapter sixteen is called the Chamber of Secrets. Good job, me. Good night, friends. Great. Even with all that vodka in your system. All right. Bye. I'm gonna go cut. Tara off. Nope. Bye. I'm just gonna cut Tara. <laughs> okay. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, snitches! snitches.